Chapter Forty Two of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Molly's Prince by Rosa Nushet Carey. Chapter Forty Two. Wooed and Married and A mer here's my hand fur and mine with my heart in it the tempest there's a divinity that shapes our ends rough hew them how we will hamlet it was arranged that waveney was to remain at the red house while painting and papering were being carried on at number ten cleveland terrace Anne, the heavy-footed was dismissed with a month's wages and mrs muggins accompanied her a competent caretaker was put in charge and althea had already engaged two capable maids to come in when the work of renovation was complete it was the first time doreen and althea had ever spent august in town but mrs mainwaring's sudden illness had detained them and as soon as she was fit to travel they had promised to stay with her at whitby while waveney remained with her friends everett ward and his son went down to a farmhouse in yorkshire that lord ralston had recommended where they would have excellent accommodation at a very moderate price and very good fishing it was the first real holiday that everett had enjoyed for years and noel wrote ridiculously illustrated epistles retailing sundry ludicrous adventures his reverend parent as he informed waveney was becoming fatter and more plebeian every day and here there was a spirited pen and ink sketch of everett in a huge straw hat fishing on a boulder with a briarwood pipe in his mouth and several small fishes winking at him as they frisk harmlessly by caught nothing since friday week was written underneath the picture in spite of her happiness waveney could not reconcile herself to molly's absence the party had tried them both no one forgot the bride's tear-stained face as lord ralston lifted her into the carriage oh do take care of my wave were her last words to althea as they drove away waveney shed many a tear in her pansy room but she cheered up when molly's first letter came and after that she wrote almost daily she was very happy she said and moritz was so good to her but of course it was strange being without her wave it was such a lovely place and the cottage was so cosy they were out all day fishing or wandering over the purple moors sometimes moritz had a day shooting with the keeper and then she and donald the gamekeeper's son drove down with the luncheon they had dinner at eight quite a grand dinner and donald waited on them i have given up pinching myself hard to be sure that i am not dreaming she wrote once 
but for all that i am leading a story-book existence oh i am so happy darling i can hardly say my prayers without crying for sheer thankfulness my dear moritz spoils me so dreadfully he says he hates me to be out of his sight for a moment and if i were to believe half he says i should be as conceited as possible it is just his blarney i tell him and then he pretends to be affronted don't you believe her my dear wrote a masculine hand she is a perfect darling and the sweetest little wife in the world when it comes to pinching oneself i can hardly believe i am that lucky and much to be envied fellow your affectionate brother-in-law monsieur blackie when althea showed waveney the improvements she and doreen had effected in number ten cleveland terrace the girl could hardly believe her eyes new papers and carpets and curtains had quite transformed the dingy old house the stairs were covered with crimson felt and the studio and the bare ugly room where the sisters had slept looked perfectly charming a little money and a good deal of taste do wonders observed althea in a matter-of-fact tone but waveney wasn't so sure about the money moritz had evidently given his cousins carte blanche and though there was very little new furniture in the studio the fresh cretonne and flowering plants gave it an air of finish and refinement it was a pleasant life they led there never since his wife's death had ever been so content and happy molly's brilliant marriage gave him great satisfaction and he had no fear of losing his little waveney for many a year to come he was set free from the drudgery he hated and he and waveney were always together thoroughgood spent his sundays with them and he came one evening in the week beside they had made this rule at the beginning and he never infringed on it every fortnight or so they dined at the red house and althea often had tea with them when she drove into town she and everett had resumed their old friendliness neither of them had forgotten that scene in the veranda of the porch house but by mutual consent the subject of noel's education had been dropped for a time at the beginning of october the newly married pair returned to town and spent a week at eaton square and molly and waveney were together every day why molly i declare you have grown an inch taller were everard's first words to her and privately he thought that young lady ralston was even handsomer than molly ward had been both he and waveney agreed that happiness and prosperity had not spoilt their darling she was the same simple light-hearted creature thinking as little of herself and rejoicing over her pretty things as a child might have done perhaps there was a little veil of shyness and reserve when she spoke of her husband moritz was evidently perfect in her eyes 
but only to Waveney did she dwell on his good qualities. People do not know him, she said once. They think him eccentric, but it is just his way of talking. He is so true, Wave. Gwen says that she is sure that he has never told a lie in his life, and he is so unselfish. He is always wanting to make people happy. When he was so poor, he would deprive himself of a meal if a beggar looked hungry, and now he is always planning some generous gift or another. He lends his shooting lodge to poor artists or curates. Oh, I cannot tell you half of the things he does. He calls me his little blessing, but I feel I can never, never repay his goodness. And here such an exquisite blush tinged Molly's cheeks, that it was a pity Lord Ralston did not see it. Molly was naturally anxious to see her beautiful home, and the lovely rooms that Moritz had refurnished for her. But her regret was so great at leaving Waveney that Lord Ralston, who could refuse nothing to his sweet Moll, suggested that she should pay them a visit in November. He had already arranged that the whole Ward family were to keep their Christmas at Brentwood Hall, but there was no reason why Waveney should not spend a week or two with them in November. It was impossible to refuse so tempting an invitation, and when Waveney reached Brentwood, Molly and the cream-colored ponies were at the station. Molly was in a perfect glow of pride and satisfaction as she drove Waveney through the village. Waveney's first act after unpacking was to find the portrait of Lady Betty in the picture gallery. Molly pointed it out to her. Lady Betty simpered down on them from the faded canvas. She had a round face and powdered hair drawn up under a lace cap, and one slim hand held a bunch of roses. Her yellow brocade looked as stiff as buckram, and her white arms were veiled with rich lace. Lady Betty Ingram, in her twenty-fifth year, was written in the catalogue. Neither had Molly or Waveney spent such a Christmas as they spent that year at Brentwood Hall. Thoroughgood Chater was with them. Lord Ralston kept Christmas in the old style. There were murmurs and carol singers on Christmas Eve, and cakes and ale ad libitum in the housekeeper's room. The John Comptons came over from Kingsdean, and the day after Christmas there was a ball for the servants, and on New Year's Eve there was a festive gathering to which people came ten miles round, and there was dancing in the picture gallery. Madame Compton was there, looking queenly in black velvet and point lace, and she and Jack were delighted when, after supper, Gwen danced a minuet with her brother. Gwen was looking her best that evening. She wore a cream-colored satin gown, cut somewhat quaintly, and her beautiful neck and arms were bare of ornament. As Gwen moved down the picture gallery, 
molly vowed that not even the renowned lady betty could have curtsied with such grace oh how beautifully they dance whispered molly and jack heard her and beamed with delight when the clock struck twelve they all joined hands and lord ralston made them a little speech then the band struck up and they all sang for auld lang syne molly sat enthroned like a little queen all the time the dancing went on the diamonds she wore were hardly brighter than her eyes once when her husband said a little sadly how he wished his sweet moll could dance too molly's lip quivered for a moment then she said bravely it does not matter dear it is so nice to have you helping me and looking after me nevertheless her eyes looked a little wistfully after him and waveney when they waltzed together the spring days found waveney at cleveland terrace again moritz meant to bring his wife to eaton square for a part of the season and then she and molly would go to exhibitions and concerts and to the opera together early in may waveney was sitting in the studio one afternoon finishing a long letter to molly when thoroughgood suddenly entered the room waveney gave a little cry of delight when she saw him oh thoroughgood how delightful she exclaimed as he took her in his arms have you come to spend the evening yes if you will have me waveney i have some news to tell you good news i can see by your face and then she asked wickedly is joanna going to be married no my dear no one is going to be married but you and i by and by but it is capital news for all that tristram has been offered a good berth at liverpool and as joanna cannot bring herself to part with betty she is going to keep house for them oh thoroughgood how splendid and waveney's eyes sparkled with pleasure she was overjoyed at the idea that he was free at last no one knew better than she how uncongenial his home had been to him solitude would be indefinitely preferable to the small carking cares and frets of his daily life joanna's peculiar temperament created an unrestful atmosphere round her tristram who was of a blunter and more obtuse nature was less alive to the discomfort joa was always a poor pulling thing he would say but she was very good to his betty and he was rather relieved than otherwise when joanna entreated tearfully to accompany them thoroughgood does not want me and betty does she pleaded joa has little money of her own went on thoroughgood so i think they will be fairly comfortable the change of scene will be good for her they are to leave durham at the end of july that will be nearly three months hence returned waveney musingly she was fingering thoroughgood's coat sleeve rather absently as she spoke 
It was one of her pretty caressing ways with him. He watched the little hand for a moment as it smoothed the rough cloth so gently. Then he took possession of it. Dearest, he said very quietly, once, long ago, I was ready to ride away without telling my love, like Sir Beaver, but my good angel stopped me. But I find that I have not Lady Betty's patience, and long waiting would be irksome to me. And then he looked at her very wistfully. Waveney, I want to ask you a question. When my sister leaves me, do you see any reason why we should not be married? It was evident that Waveney was extremely startled, and that Thoroughgood's proposition took her quite by surprise. She grew a little pale. I thought you could not afford to marry for years, she returned shyly. So I thought, he replied with a smile. You see, darling, when we were first engaged, my sister was dependent on me, and at that time Tristram earned very little. Virtually, I had to keep him and Betty, but all that will be changed now. We should have to be careful and live quietly for some years to come, but I am not afraid of the future. My work is increasing, as you know. I have had to take better chambers and our last case was so successful that I am likely to have another good brief. Tell me the truth, my little Undine. Shall you be afraid to trust yourself to my keeping? Afraid? Need he have asked such a question? The dark eyes looked at him with reproachful sweetness. Do you think I should fear anything with you? she answered but thoroughgood are you sure you really wish it but thoroughgood's reply was so conclusive and satisfying that waveney yielded everett ward had been reading his paper in old ranleigh gardens that afternoon the pleasant may sunshine had warmed and cheered him and he whistled like a boy as he let himself into the house with his latch key but his cheerfulness soon vanished when he learnt the purport of Thoroughgood's visit. He was deceived, betrayed by the very man whom he declared would be a son-in-law after his own heart. He was to be robbed of his little girl. What a fool he had been to trust the word of a lover! His knowledge of the world might have told him that they were all wolves in sheep's clothing five years engagement this is what he had promised the arch traitor and now he was coolly proposing that they should be married in august everett nearly talked himself hoarse in his effort to point out the extreme imprudence of the whole proceeding in his opinion he said it was utterly rash foolhardy and a gross tempting of providence all his life he had been an example of the sad result of an impecunious marriage his son had been indebted to charity for education 
and his daughters had been without advantages everett waxed quite eloquent over his theme but thoroughgood refused to be intimidated he demolished all everett's arguments with the ease and facility of a skilful lawyer and waveney was on his side everett had no chance from the beginning they were both against him and at last he had to throw down his arms even althea took their part and so did molly but he yielded with a very bad grace and though he tried to hide it from waveney he was sore at heart for many a day waveney's feelings were very mixed her sorrow at leaving her father somewhat damped her happiness but molly comforted her of course it is hard for father she said one day when waveney was lunching at eaton square he hates parting with his children don't you remember how low he was on my wedding day but he soon cheered up it will be all right wave so don't worry when you are once married he will make the best of it moritz says he must leave cleveland terrace and take a nice flat somewhere near you and when noel is at oxford he can divide his time between us and this view of the case was very consoling to waveney molly was in the seventh heaven of delight just then she was to provide the trousseau out of her own pin money and this thought gave her so much pleasure that lord ralston declared she even laughed in her sleep but lord ralston's wedding present almost overwhelmed the young couple he bought a house for them at kensington and furnished it from basement to garret when he placed the title deeds in waveney's hands she was speechless with surprise and joy but moritz refused to be thanked molly's sister was his he said in his airy fashion and it was his business to see she was properly housed chater is a good fellow he went on and i respect him highly and am proud to be connected with him i shall stand your friend and his as long as you both deserve it and look here and here lord ralston glanced at molly's delighted face if you and cheetah would like to do your honeymooning at the hut you are welcome to it and when waveney repeated this to thoroughgood he said that it was far too good an offer to be refused ralston is the prince of good fellows he went on his generosity is as large as his purse you will love those scotch moors waveney i have not been in the highlands for years it will be grand to see the heather and the grouse again after all everett ward never had his flat neither did he stay long at number ten cleveland terrace another and far different fate was in store for him about three months after waveney's marriage he went one afternoon to the red house he had only just returned from brentwood hall where he had made the acquaintance of his first grandson and as usual 
he wished to talk over the visit with his old friend althea for they were very dear friends now and next to his own daughters he valued her womanly advice and sympathy in summer the door of the red house was always stood open and he went in as usual unannounced no one responded to his tap at the library door and as he entered he thought for a moment the room was empty the blinds were down and the darkness rather bewildered him coming out of the sunshine but the next moment he caught sight of a gray figure in the shadow of the curtain althea was leaning back in her easy chair there was a green shade over her eyes and her face was pale everard who had never seen her before in one of her attacks was much shocked you are ill he said taking her hand in spite of the warmth of the day it felt cold and limp then he looked round the room where is doreen surely she has not left you alone doreen is at home returned althea in a weak voice there is a committee meeting please sit down and talk to me i want to forget myself no i am not ill the attack has passed off only i am stupid and dull dull everard felt strangely oppressed the darkness althea's pale face full of traces of suffering the disguising shade that hid the sweet eyes the pathos and helplessness and utter weariness so evident in the whole figure filled him with pity was this what she had to bear she who helped others whose whole life was devoted to good works who had been a guardian angel to him and his everard felt a sudden impulse that seemed to impel him in spite of himself he got up from his seat and stood beside her then as she moved restlessly as though disturbed by his action he dropped on one knee althea my dear he said huskily we are neither of us young and we have both known trouble but if you would have it so i should like to devote the rest of my life to you to wait on you and to comfort you was she dreaming althea pushed up her shade a little wildly but the gravity of his face left no doubt of his meaning i cannot i dare not accept it she returned as she trembled all over it is far too great a sacrifice it is no sacrifice at all was everard's answer it is i who am unworthy of your goodness and the proud humility of his tone struck to her very heart i have loved you all my life she said to him later on everard it shall be as you wish it will make me very happy to be your wife i know how good you will be to me doreen was rather troubled when althea told her the news their peaceful dual life was over she thought but when she looked at her sister's radiant face 
she chid herself for her selfishness but she soon became reconciled to the change when everett took up his abode at the red house he became her chief adviser and helper he brought his masculine intellect and energy to bear on all their philanthropic schemes and my brother-in-law says this or suggests that was forever on doreen's lips there was no doubt of althea's happiness she and everard were always together althea's sweet large nature was never exacting she knew that he would never love her as he had loved dorothy but this thought gave her no pain how could she complain that anything was wanting when his thoughtful tenderness was so unceasing when he never cared to be away from her it rests me to be near you he would say and indeed there was the truest friendship between them waveney and molly were devoted to their beloved queen bess but our boy as althea always called noel was the pride of his stepmother's heart and so when her youth had passed that faithful soul reaped its harvest of joy thus the whirlgig of time brings in its revenges but althea's noble revenge had been much patience and much love end of chapter forty two recording by linda Marie nielsen vancouver b c end of molly's prince by rosa nushet carey